Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast where we talk about who we are, what this is, and why this is an interesting moment in time. Let's go. here we go we're live hello uh, yes good morning kendall good morning yes it's currently thursday morning uh so we'll record on thursday mornings and hopefully release on fridays we'll see how it goes uh yeah we picked a really good time to to record our first uh our first official show um given what happened yesterday so it should be interesting yeah, so we're going to get into that here in a second. Um, first, I think it's appropriate for us to just give intros about ourselves and yeah. um, and then sort of like what what this is that we're that we're that we're building here. Um, I'll go first. It can be brief. Cool. My name's Kendall Y. My last name is pronounced Y like the question or the letter. Um, I'm a software developer by trade but I've been interested in tech for a long, long time since I was young. Um, these days I'm really into finance and crypto, uh, which, uh, which we'll get into. Uh, but yeah, that's me. Tell us about yourself. Cool. Yeah. My name is Jordan Guest, uh, based here in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm a certified public accountant, a CPA, and kind of work in the small business tax and consulting world right now. Run my own CPA firm. And um, yeah, Kendall and I met each other, I guess, six months ago, eight months ago, something like that. And we kind of hit it off. And um, our general vibe is I'm the student and uh, Kendall is the teacher. And so we, uh, we have really fun conversations. We've been doing this for a little while and been posting. I think we posted one of them, right? And so we decided um, not that long ago to make this official and, and start doing it on a more consistent basis. So excited. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Jordan and I have a, have a dynamic that I think could, could play out well for, for what we're trying to do here. Um, so, so we'll see how it goes. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the general vibe is you're the, you're the student, I'm the teacher, but, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I don't think that's, that's, uh, that's always true. So, uh, I want to, part of my goal is to, to empower, empower you to, to, mm. to be less of a student. Um, <laughs> sounds so, good. Okay. Uh, right. So, okay. So what is this thing? So, so I have this idea of like, I want something to be sort of conversational. Like I don't really want, uh, an agenda for what, what we're doing because I want it to be truly authentic. I want people to, to listen to it and know that we're, we're being genuine and we're being, we're being who we are. Um, yeah. And, uh, so like we're, we're, we have what we're going to do off the bat, at least for now, once a week, we're going to record a show on Thursdays. We're going to publish it on Friday. It's going to publish in the form of a podcast and we'll, we'll publish the video as well to YouTube. Um, and we'll, we'll have like a general talking points that we want to go through. Um, and, but we don't have to stick to them. We can just let the conversation flow. Um, I think we're, 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 we're mostly going to stick to, 
uh, news events uh, that are that we find relevant. Um, uh, but but yeah, it's mostly an organic thing, so I can we kind of go where, wherever the wind blows. What do you th- what do you think? Yeah. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, no, that sounds good. And I think um, so. Full disclosure, Kendall and I just spent the pretty much the whole weekend together. We had a lot of uh, good good quality time Thursday through Monday this past week, and um, just got to discuss a lot of a lot of these ideas and kind of nail things down. And we were, <clears throat> we were sitting at dinner on Sunday night trying to think, well, what should we call this thing? And I think this kind of sums it up well um, to get the point across of what we're trying to do. And um, we wanted to call it Not All at Once. And the idea that came to my head originally was kind of like, there's a teacher in a classroom and all the students are trying to ask a question all at once. And, this, and the teacher has to say to the whole class, not all at once, one, class, one question at a time pretty much. And, and then Kendall kind of built on that during the conversation of like, yeah, crypto is a little bit like that. There's so many questions to be asked. There's so many topics to tackle. And so um, we're just going to not do everything at once. We're going to take um, pretty much, you know, the whole eat an elephant one bite at a time kind of thing, I think fits well here. And so the show is educational. It is trying to keep up with all of the moving pieces we know you hear it all the time. Space moves very quick. I, I think that's an understatement. So we're just trying to use this to teach about the space. Um, and then from, and I think it's got to be said, you know, crypto does just inevitably merge technology and finance. And um, and Kendall and I represent that uh, kind of physically, right? Whereas I come from finance and accounting world, and he's coming from uh, the tech world. And we so we're putting our brains together to try to learn from each other. Um, so anyways, yeah, not yeah. all at once. I'm excited about it. Yeah. You came up with the name. I got to give you credit. It's a good name. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, so this is like a little bit atypical. We'll, we'll typically, I, I'd imagine typically we'll jump right into, into the yeah. show rather than uh, all this uh, meta information. Yeah. So, okay. So we are in, we are starting this, our first episode at a very interesting time. It's no coincidence really, because there's just so much going on in the, in the world right now. Um, so I want to go on a little spiel here because like, I think that, uh, uh, I think that this is a, a very, very interesting time in this, in this exact moment. Um, I think that broadly we're seeing a breakdown of, of like media, the media space. Um, and so for, for, for background in 2010, I actually started making YouTube videos. So I was like an OG YouTube content creator. Okay. And wow. I was like, so people, I don't, do you know who MKBHD is? No, it doesn't ring a bell. Okay, MKBHD is like one of the most well-known like uh, consumer technology YouTubers. And so like he'll make videos about like, you know, like that. There was an Apple event yesterday that he made makes videos about and he makes like reviews. Anyway, he's got like, I don't know, 12 million subscribers or something. I was subscriber to MKBHD number uh, 1500. Okay, I just want that to be on wow. record. Uh, <laughs> so... In, in 2010, I saw something happening with YouTube where it was like, um, I was like, oh my gosh, the internet is going to kill the television, basically. Um, 
And I think that we're seeing uh, a, a new version of that right now. Um, and so I think that things like we're doing right here will, um, it's going to take years to play out. Like YouTube didn't really, you know, I was a little early. It's going to take years to play out, but there's something new that's happening in the world where information used to flow from, from top down. And now information is, is totally egalitarian and access is, 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 uh, equal. Um, and so it's, it's going to be really relevant to, to the things that we talk about because um, people talk about Web3 and like really, in my opinion, what Web3 is, it's, is it's two things. It's monetization and it's distribution. Um, and monetization is, 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 is very interesting and important and uh, relevant to, to, to our discussions um, primarily because it's around crypto, right? Crypto is how you basically monetize these things and then distribution. Um, so all of that to say is that I think that we're in a very interesting moment where um, there's going to be a, um, a new, an emergence of a new type of media that's a, that's a sort of generation above like this, these like YouTube content creators. Okay, I want to pause there and because I have a lot more to say. But what are your what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, I I I think the only people really holding, um, well, at least holding the first wave of it back from going from what people watching like the mainstream kind of news channels on television, the only people holding that back, it seems like at this point, are, is the older generation. You know, they still get their news. Uh, seem seems like predominantly on a nightly news kind of thing, watching the television. Whereas I don't know anybody really in their twenties or even in their thirties, really who get their news that way. They're getting their news through podcasts or through Twitter or just through other means. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. I think the main thing that we're trying to get at is like just making it where you can be a fly on the wall of conversations that, would be happening whether we're recording these or not. That's kind of the cool thing about Kindle and I's uh, friendship and relationship so far is like we're having these conversations. So we kind of just figured um, there's there's a lack of education in space, even though there's a booming amount of education that's coming out about crypto, it's still not enough to keep up with all the people, all the questions. Um, you know, my background, I get, I get tons of questions about crypto and it's, it's been, um, helpful to grow my business and stuff, but, um, yeah, the more things I can, I can answer on a call or on a show like this versus answering questions individually on a phone call, it's just, that's the biggest thing. And that's, that goes back to your point about distribution, right? I can distribute information about crypto taxes one-to-one -one on a phone call. This, who knows how many years this could reach. Um, and so I think that's the main thing because we're trying to minimize the amount of people who are left behind, um, with crypto. And I think that's a huge, and I get that. I just get that sense in the whole space is it's, it's just a reality. There's going to be people left behind, whether there's a whole slew of reasons, right. But education, the more we can educate people, just the better for the whole world. Um, so and that absolutely. all kind of comes out of media, media, right? So yeah, abs absolutely. Yeah, I mean, part of the 
like one thing, did you know that Fox News is actually registered as an entertainment company, not a news company? I did not know that, but that makes that makes complete sense. Yeah. And they have to do it legally because um, they they have to if they're registered as a news company, they're held to a different type of legal standard, apparently. Uh, hmm. which I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. And it's yeah. like it's like a couple of things. It's like how first off, it has to be somewhat entertaining too, in order for people to be absorbed into the material. Cause like if it's if it's just like cut and dry academic material, then you're just not going to, to your point, like you want to make sure you minimize people that get left behind. And um, like in order to, there's an undeniable reality that like in order to reach the masses, there has to be an angle of, of entertainment as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, what's the quote? It's like, um, you love the things that you're good at or you're good at the things that you love. Right. So um, it yeah. has to, it, it has to like spark an emotion as well. Um, so, yeah. And I think, I think off the, you know, just like right off the bat, even seeing things that in the news that have happened, you know, I can point to two right away, right. Russia and Canada. I think it's just making people perk up a little bit more about what, where do I want to keep my, my wealth and who do I want to know about that? And who do I want to be able to control that? Um, and really, it doesn't really matter what you think about government or politics. Um, it's really just a matter of preserving your stored energy or your wealth for you and your family for, you know, as long as we're all here <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and so it's just this topic that just goes all the way across. But it was funny, even last night, You'll crack, you'll crack this. I was getting ready for bed and I told my wife, Raven, I said, why don't you, uh, let's set you up a moon wallet. I want to send you some, some Satoshis and just show you how it works and show you how fast it, it goes. And she's, and she's just like, no, I, I don't need, I don't need to do that. Like that you can deal with that. And she's pretty much saying like, it sounds too confusing. You know, I, I, I'm not going to do deal with that. And I was just thinking to myself, well, at some point, you're probably going to have to figure it out, right? And so trying to make all of these things, whether it's setting up a MetaMask wallet or it's um, like like I just did setting up my own Bitcoin node, right? It's like these things are super intimidating. And even for a person who's in it all the time, like trying to learn, listen to podcasts, read books, all that stuff, it's still intimidating. So how do we just like lower that hurdle? of okay this is how you do all these things and we're going to dumb it down as much as possible so they can reach the masses i think that's that's very important and the news plays into that too because as we're going to talk about you know things that come out of the white house those are that's important and kind of like guides how people are thinking about these things so yeah the way i see it so robert breedlove says has said this multiple times is like um I think it's uh, it's some, he's repurposing the quote, but it's like the purpose of knowledge is action. And so like, it's one thing to just have knowledge, but like, if you have the knowledge, but you're not applying it in some, in some capacity, then like, it's basically useless. Um, hmm. And so good. the way I see the news is like, the news is like the application of the knowledge. And so, and there's like a reflexive back and forth between the two things. So it's like, 
we can use the news as as a way to to also to one thing is like grasp entertainment because people are interested in what's going on around them but then it's also like okay well how does this relate back to the things that we're learning about about you know like this crypto stuff and then like oh then what's this other thing about this crypto and so then like you circle back into like understanding more like gaining more knowledge about the crypto which it's like reflexive um, yeah so it's very interesting yeah uh okay so i want to talk about like some of the things just going on in the world so obviously if you haven't if you haven't figured out by now this is mostly going to be like a crypto related podcast um but it's like i said it's mostly organic um i want to talk about just like just some non-crypto things and like how just like the state of the world right now because there is so much going on in the world right now uh it is bizarre so i have a list here i want to go through okay obviously we're seeing a lot of um a lot of things out of russia and the russian ukraine conflict so russia invaded ukraine um a few weeks back we can talk about that if we want to um china has like silently rolled out a cbdc which like people aren't, aren't even really talking about it was actually used like the the whole uh olympics was like they they use it in the olympics um mm-hmm. and so like people talk about like cbdc's as if it's like some future thing like that exists in the world today and it's used by a major superpower um there yeah yeah okay so we'll, we'll talk a lot about cbdc's as, as, as the content flows uh, there's a huge energy crisis, right? Energy, energy prices are, 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 uh, steepening supply and demand it has a lot to do with what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, but mostly this is around like peak cheap oil. You have this, and then you have like this political dynamic between ESG initiatives versus, um, you know, like fossil fuel industries. So energy is, is a, is a big thing. Um, inflation. Okay. Today is inflation day. CPI, new CPI, new CPI print came out. So that for those who don't know, once a month, um, somebody, I don't know if it's the Fed or some agency, some bureaucracy releases what's called, it's called the CPI, Consumer Price Index. They basically track a basket of goods and they, 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 they try to figure out if prices are going up or down, um, which that's a whole thing in and of itself because like, you know, how much can you trust that number? Debatable. Okay. Uh, but uh, inflation, so inflation CPI print came out today, like two hours ago, and it's at it's at seven point nine percent. Okay, so this is this is a wild number. Okay, seven new high in forty new, years. New high in forty years. I mean, can you believe that? The um, uh, and so like just to put that into context for people who are listening to this, like if you didn't receive a pay increase of seven point nine percent in the past year, you have experienced a pay decrease meaning you have lost money, which is a, when you, when people, when, when, when I considered that, that is like viscerally uncomfortable. I'm like, oh my gosh, I like, imagine my employer was like, you make this amount of money, but now we're actually going to pull your pay back. Like that is deeply upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and to your point earlier, it's probably, we'll, we'll get into it, but that's probably um, not the real number. <laughs> you know, it's probably double that at least. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So like inflation is, is a relative index. It's relative to each individual preferences. Um, so even the concept of having like a standardized inflation number is, is a fool's errand in my opinion. 
Uh, <laughs> okay. So um, we're also seeing, this is uh, something that I find very fascinating, what, what has been dubbed like the death of Bretton Woods 2. Um, so we're still in the list of things that are going on in the world right now, right? So Russia, Ukraine, China, CBDC, energy crises, inflation, death of Bretton Woods 2. Um, so that's basically like, for those who don't know, it's it's really the monetary, the global monetary system. The, like it all comes down to like this concept of like, what is money? Um, <laughs> so we'll get into that too. Anyway, I just want to say a lot of things going on in the world right now. There's so many things to talk about. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, how long do you have, Kindle? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, where do you want to start? Where do you, where do you think would be a good good starting point for us today well um yeah the i just want to say that crypto sort of integrates with all these things it, it, um in um in ways that i see a lot of opportunity like i see a ton of opportunity for for all these things um mm. th through crypto so, okay, let's jump into some news. You kick us off with uh, the exec executive order. Yeah, okay. So I read through like the fact sheet and um, that was released yesterday um, from the Biden administration, essentially just saying, I mean, my general understanding was Biden pretty much saying to several different agencies, uh, he did leave out the SEC, which I thought was interesting. Like he didn't, he pretty much didn't say he wanted to hear anything from them on it. Um, but between, you know, the treasury and a few other uh, offices, he was felt like he was just saying, hey, everyone, go go figure this out. Go research this and, and come back to me with proposed regulations um, that you see uh, as needed for the space. That was kind of like the general felt like the a vast part of it. Right. And he, and I did feel like they used the word, you know, like systemic, I kept seeing the word systemic pop up, um, financial risk and just creating safe ways for people to transact and all those kinds of things. Right. Which I don't know, you just always, you always have to be a little bit skeptical. Part of the whole reason for cryptocurrency was a little bit to get around centralized authorities, like central banks and like governments. Um, so, but on the other hand, I think regulations needed for it to um, become more mainstream and for people to trust it across the board. Uh, the other piece that I'll mention is that is the, uh, and you touched on it just a little bit with China, that they're already doing the uh, central bank uh, crypto, the CBDC, um, and pretty much the US government floated that of, we need to look into that, we need to pretty much mint our own crypto coin for the U.S. government. And um, that was the one where I was like, oh, gosh, um, where, where are we headed with this? Uh, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I even talked about it with my in-laws last night at dinner. And, and I just think everyone, even if they don't know anything about cryptocurrency, they, they hear that, they hear that they can track more or less everything that we spend money on and there's no go between like a bank that kind of has any separation. Right. And people hear that and they're like, I don't like that. That doesn't sound good. So that was my initial thought. Um, 
but I'm open. Obviously, you know, I'm very open-minded. I'm open to hearing other arguments if there, if there's potential benefits for that. So, okay. So CBDCs. All right. So let's jump into it. CBDC stands for central bank digital currency. Um, for those who don't know the, the way the banking system works is, uh, Consumers interact with commercial banks. Commercial banks have a bank of their own. This is called the central bank. And then basically like each sovereign, each currency has their own central bank. So there's a central bank of, you know, of the United States. There's a central bank of Europe, central bank of Russia, central bank of China. Um, so the, the idea is basically the way we currently have like physical cash. So we have a, we have a, a dollar, which is the liability of the central bank. Um, you can basically digitize that. And so you can conduct commerce digitally through, through this like central bank digital currency. The, the pitfall is that, I mean, really that's an entirely different thing i mean that is just you have the current system today and then you have cbdc and you have to think about them as entirely uh separate systems because what the cbdc would allow is um right now whenever i have physical cash i have a strong sense of ownership over that physical cash i believe that that is my cash um you know, technically it's, it's the liability of the, of the U S federal reserve. Um, so it's not even technically yours, but like for, for all intents and, and use cases, like pragmatically you have full ownership over that cash with a central bank digital currency, it will become viscerally understood. I should, um, it will be easy to understand that that currency is, is not actually yours because the central bank will have full uh, discretion over that, over that money. So they can read, they would be able to reach into any balance, any account balance manipulated, however they see fit. Um, so like some examples are um, we're going to give you a stimulus check, but you have to spend it within a week. Otherwise we're going to claw it back. Uh, another example, you'll see this especially under authoritarian regimes where they try to control the media. If you spread misinformation, then we will penalize you by pull, by clawing back some of your currency reserves. All this to say, it, it'll become easy for people to understand that their money is not actually theirs. Okay, It's not like you have full ownership over it. Wouldn't you say it's pretty similar though? It is similar in some ways to like not, if I just have keep all of my cash in a bank account and I don't have any physical, I can't physically hold it or touch it. There's, there's a little bit of similarity there, right? Where say I haven't paid my taxes in three years, they can go in and levy my bank account and pull that money out. Um, assuming they go through the the legal means and everything, but there's some similarities there, right? Or yeah, I think about that wrong. No, I think that's that's totally valid. So, the there's two ways. There's two things I'll, I'll comment on. First off, if if you have a standardized central bank digital currency, the the tech right now basically we have a lot of bureaucracy that stands in the way, and um, like that we have 
a, a thousand different implementations of the same tech. And so it's actually difficult to even execute a lot of these, uh, these orders to, to manipulate digital account balances. That's like kind of neither here nor there because eventually that would, that just, just gets solved through the market anyway. Um, the, the most important thing here is that it, 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 what it really comes down to is property rights. And so, um, you're right, actually. I'm, I'm using CBDCs as a blanket statement as if like all CBDCs would be the same, but they wouldn't um, because it, it, it comes down to the, the property rights. And so like here in the United States, we have strong property right laws, which would prevent, um, you know, hopefully prevent bad actors from clawing away our funds. However, under authoritarian regimes where property rights are, are not as, as strong, um, then then you're then you're 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 susceptible to 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 events where they're basically manipulating your your wealth. So and those to, can change on a dime too. Like you know, people probably thought Canada had really pretty strong property rights three months ago, right? And then. If you yeah. use the word emergency enough, right? I mean, you can you can pretty much change all of that overnight. Yeah, yeah. It, it cuts both ways because like if Canada had a CBDC a few weeks ago, then on one hand, they could have been much more aggressive on seizing funds. They could have literally like taken funds and to never be returned. But then like on the other hand too, they could also be more targeted. So rather than having a blunt instrument, they could have a targeted approach where um, perhaps there are actually people that are breaking the law and, and, mm -hmm. and, re and require some sort of civil, um, civil uh, justice against them. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it cuts both ways, but fundamentally it's susceptible to human, to politics, which uh, I think is, is an issue. Yeah. Yeah. We had that conversation not that long ago. It's like, even if you support, um, what happened up there, like, even if you think what the truckers did was bad kind of thing is where I'm getting at. Now we have this precedent where people in power and, and the pendulum swings. Right. And, um, you know, just think if, if, uh, someone else were in power, like a, like a Trump character, right. And there's a political, um, up uprising that, um, it, it just goes both ways, I guess, you know? And so, um, it, it is a scary thing of, of feeling like things could just be taken or frozen. And, um, you know, we talked about that Twitter thread, about the right to transact. And that kind of lies at the base of all of our other rights. And so, you know, getting a handle on the cryptocurrency and using it responsibly to pretty much just be a check against power um, is, is just, I don't know, to me, to me, it seems like it's growing so much more relevant to have that check and be able to, um, be able to escape if you needed to, you know, even, even think about, think about the Ukraine and Russia situation. Um, if you're trying to flee either of those countries. And I think that you had that, you had that story where someone walked across the border or you could walk across the border 
completely naked, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you knew your if you knew your 24 word seed phrase for your Bitcoin wallet, you just brought over all of your wealth and no one knew it. And you might be getting some weird looks because you're not wearing any clothes, but at least <laughs> no one could say, empty out your pockets or you know, show me what's in your backpack or whatever and and potentially confiscate your your wealth. Um I think that's really powerful. It's just got to be said that's just so powerful. And it's and to your point, the US, we don't even have to really worry as much, knock on wood, about um, property rights being infringed upon. But say you're in a country that just doesn't have a great track record on this stuff. Now you have an alternative pretty much to skirt the system. So, yeah, I mean, it's weird how CBDCs will probably actually blow the door wide open for Bitcoin. It's like, I think that people are, a lot of Bitcoiners are like really concerned about CBDCs. And what I, I mean, my opinion is like, look, you can be concerned all you want. If it happens, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But here's what I know. If they digitize all this stuff and uh, it starts, it, it, it basically markets the use case for Bitcoin. It, it blows the use case for Bitcoin wide open. It's sort of like throwing throwing gasoline on the fire, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So, but <clears throat> it's still scary, though. I mean, it's definitely dangerous. Uh, so, all right. Well, yeah. So, there's an executive order. They talked about CBDC some. Um, overall, my opinions on the executive order were uh, it's quite good, actually believe it or not uh the um because basically the my read on the politics was i'm sure that this was highly lobbied too i'm sure that like that <laughs> that what yeah, was i'd be curious to ask jerry jerry Brito if he had if he played any role i'm sure he did <laughs> oh i'm sure i'm sure and i'm sure that like a16z and you're getting a lot of uh big fund managers probably probably through a lot of uh, capital at the fire too. Um, but even with all that said, like um, the, my general takeaway of the, of the executive order was it was basically a full-fledged support for crypto for the, from the United States. My reading on the situation is it was basically the U.S. saying, hey, there's a lot of authoritarians in the world right now, a lot of autocrats, tyrants uh we're gonna we're gonna play the other side of the of the of the the game and we're gonna support this thing um now and the language in there about like the u.s being making sure that we are out in front of this um that was huge too yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean if you think about it like a lot of tech in the past 20 years gravitated to the u.s um so, yeah, why would we, we don't want to fumble the football on this next generation. Right. Yeah. And there's definitely other countries and they're probably not talking about it. Um, and they're not as good countries as, as the U.S. in terms of human rights and all those kinds of things that are, they're utilizing crypto. Um, you know, North Korea, pick your, pick your, um, country that does the worst stuff right um and so if the united states 
is essentially left behind, what does that do? I mean, really, what does that do for the whole world, right? I'm not, I'm not saying like the United States has to always be the most powerful, but, um, and that gets into some geopolitics conversations, probably don't want to touch today, but essentially just if the worst actors on global scale are getting into this and are going to experience crazy returns on their investment that they're putting into it, we need to at least hedge. And I think Nick Carter was talking about that on his last pod that was essentially saying, take whatever um, USD amount that the balance sheet that's in gold for the US balance sheet and just also put that in big, he was saying Bitcoin. Um, and Bitcoin's probably the most, the one that makes the most sense. It's got the longest track record and best fundamentals, I would say. Um, and I think it was something small. I want to say, I want to say the number they would have to spend would be 800 billion. I, I think that's what he said, um, US dollar and put that into Bitcoin just as a hedge of um, what if this thing actually does work. Mm -hmm. And I think that they've got to take a hard look at that just to make sure that just to make sure that they're, they're or mitigating for all the risk. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that that's already happened behind closed doors probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So would there be a way to even check that since everything's open? Would, would there be a way to verify if a nation state like the U S or even like China I've heard that those that the countries do hold Bitcoin, but I'm just asking, is there a way to verify that? Yeah, and it's, you know ex it's actually commonly accepted that um, countries like North Korea, Venezuela, and Iran also hold substantial Bitcoin uh, holdings. Uh, hmm. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, everything's on the public blockchain, so you could run some analysis. Nothing, it's all probabilistic, and so you can't say for certain um where it's mm -hmm. going but you would look for big big whale purchases so whale movements large large quantities of coins but even that you could you can skirt around if you were if you were one of these institute one one of these sovereigns there's ways to to basically obfuscate it the the way it would probably work would be like they would need to they would need to have a seller they would need to have somebody who owns a substantial stake in bitcoin and is willing to sell it to them without um, disclosing, you know, that, that they are the buyers. And you could do that through like a trusted third party to like an OTC over the counter type of exchange. Um, so anyway, it's possible, but it's, uh, it's not really, it's not really something that you could prove. And, and I think what they were talking about on that pod is like, you'd probably keep it real quiet too, if, even if you were, because you're trying to get in at these lower cost bases anyways. So, oh yeah. And you don't want to increase that just because you make some news that you're sovereign owning Bitcoin. Yeah. So like Saylor has to go out and say, Michael Saylor has to publicize that he's buying because, because he's the chairman of a giant security. And so as a security, you have to be public about it. You have to be out in the open and saying, here's what I'm doing. Here's all my actions. If you are a private, maybe then you don't have to do such a thing. And so, um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, most likely the U.S. already has a substantial stake and we'll, we won't know about it maybe for 20 years. Um, and, and largely that's because 
it would be very bad for the U.S. dollar, very very bad for for the um, you know the belief systems among the uh, economic participants to to know that the the global reserve currency is basically s- exiting the system. <laughs> uh, right, that would be undesirable for people. Yeah. Okay, so I saw your thread yesterday. Are you going to change course a little bit? Yeah, yeah, we can go. go to, okay. Uh, talk me through the whole the whole Luna. Um, I saw you tweeting about that yesterday, Luna with Bitcoin, and just walk us through what's kind of going on there. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I wasn't trying to pick a fight with uh, Do Kwan. Uh, sometimes, you know, I, if you expose something, they may be unhappy. <laughs> But uh, he didn't respond to me, but I was hoping that he would. Um, I think I want to talk a lot about stability in the coming weeks, because this is something that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, for, for context, stable coins are, are basically crypto coins that are pegged to US dollars. And we've seen stable coins go from basically zero to like 150 billion uh in the past like two year two or three years which is absolutely crazy the way i tell people this too is like um that's not 150 billion like market cap uh on like a normal market cap basis that's 150 billion of pure liquidity meaning those are actual you know assuming that tether is solvent those are like actually real dollars that are that are going around so that is a substantial amount of money that is a lot of money um, yeah. so especially so just, in that short of a time frame yeah and we and we'll talk about how they're used they're used in a number of ways but um but anyway i'm just really fascinated with the concept of stability and like what that really means um so so yeah so luna um which is a blockchain i think i i don't even know the full story of luna to be honest they are like a blockchain yeah. that, that produces stable coins and they have some mechanism to stabilize value that is algorithmic. And I don't really know. It seems complicated to me. It seems like a lot of hand wavy stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so they have this new strategy where they're going to produce stable coins with using Bitcoin as the underlying reserve. Um, and what that means is like, the way that you maintain the stable value is you're basically using the Bitcoin as like a load balancing mechanism. So as the price of Bitcoin goes down, you're deploying the Bitcoin to, to help maintain the peg. And then the inverse as Bitcoin goes up, you're pulling Bitcoin out of the, out of the peg to, to keep the peg at a, at the stable value. Mm-hmm. Um, but this doesn't really work because Bitcoin is way too volatile. And so like, um, it becomes a vicious cycle of if the Bitcoin price drops, then they have to basically liquidate the Bitcoin in order to service the peg. And then as they liquidate the Bitcoin, the free float supply in the market increases, which causes the price to go down further, which then they have to liquidate more. And then you can see how it's just a vicious cycle of destruction. Um, yeah. And I don't know how they're doing it. I don't think, I mean, I think that my guess is that basically they're not, they're creating some sort of like incentive system where they don't have to liquidate the Bitcoin, um, which basically what that means to me 
is like the owners of those stable coins think that they have a claim to the Bitcoin, but they don't actually have a claim to the Bitcoin, which just means that it's all basically a Fugazi. Uh, <laughs> so, and they're buying like a lot, like they bought like $1.5 billion in Bitcoin, which is a lot of, that's a lot of Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, it's to the point of putting your Bitcoin somewhere entrusting a third party or a counterparty. I, I don't know. It just seems like there's so much risk there. It's I'm not, I'm saying if you're one of the people who's like a user with, with Luna, mm -hmm. the user of the stable coin, right. It yeah. just, um, yeah, I just try to keep it as simple as possible with the Bitcoin, which we've talked about. And that's just mo mostly to keep it all in cold storage and, and try to forget about it. But yeah, all the schemes that you're hearing about where people are paying out these crazy APYs for you to hold your whatever coin in, in their in their coffers, just that to me feels a little bit like a bubble. Uh, I would say, um, especially when you start talking about some of these percentages that they're paying out and what are they doing? What kind of games or schemes are they playing in the background to be able to to afford that that um yeah that interest i don't know yeah so, <laughs> and so everyone be cautious with things like that no doubt oh it's your user it's the wild west out there to a large extent um yeah if you're getting an apy that's north of six percent i would say uh, be very careful um and then, like something else that i see a lot is like these these like DeFi projects have they all have treasuries and they obviously it's like it's sort of like a business needs a treasury because you need to be able to use capital to to grow the business or whatever and like a lot of these treasuries i'm hearing are like basically holding other projects tokens and so like uh it's like their value is fundamentally aligned because it's like they can claim they have a billion in treasuries but like if if like 800 million of the billion is like some uh shiba shiba coin that is then it's like it's like you're saying that you have this treasury but like really you're just like um you're just using somebody else's project and it's like propping their project up and it's also propping your project up but like what happens if one of those fails right <laughs> yeah i mean what is what it sounds like you're describing there is a classic literal like house of cards yeah right? yeah exactly yeah um yeah i think it needs to be said too as people are getting to know us a little bit um you know we're we're both i i don't know you you don't consider yourself a bitcoin maxi but you uh, we would both say we're very bullish on bitcoin and, and that's a the majority of our definitely majority of our holdings full disclosure is bitcoin yeah so. i'll talk about myself i don't have any sort of identity like i don't really describe i don't like to label myself as anything because like the uh because then whenever you change your mind people get uh emotional about it uh which i change my mind all the time uh, uh but yeah like my opinion on the on the space broadly is that like the only the only investable asset that I see is Bitcoin. Um, the, the other ones are mostly like venture capital type bets and some of them work and some of them won't. 
right? Because that's how yeah. it works. Yeah. 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 And then to go back to stability just in general, and I know we'll be unpacking this uh, quite a bit in the coming weeks, just makes me think like when you were talking about what they're trying to do, which is keep, keep stability in their Luna token backed by Bitcoin that is not stable. It, it just, it feels like such a fool's errand of stability just does not exist in the real world. And we live in a world of chaos. Um, and so trying to, but stability is, is nice in a monetary system. Right. And you tell me if this is wrong, but it's the, the reason I would say it's nice is because if I wanted to go buy my lunch today with Bitcoin, um, you know, I don't want it to be where I spent some Bitcoin on that lunch. And then two hours later, that Bitcoin is either worth that I spent is either worth a lot more or a lot less, right? You want it to kind of stay steady, right? Yeah, there's 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 two things for stability. First is the one you, you just described, which is that with division of labor, you don't want people, you don't want every single individual to have to be able to speculate on the market in order to maintain their, their store, their wealth. So like, let's say I'm a teacher, I should be spending my time teaching, not considering what the price of oil is, right? Like, um, so there's like a socialized utility for stability, which is like, you don't like market speculation is only for people that specialize in market speculation. The rest of these people specialize in other things. Um, but I will say that that one is like, I don't actually even know if there is a solution to that, to be frank, that one, I don't like that one feels like a bit of Fugazi. Um, the second reason why stability exists, which is very valid. And I see why this, I see, I see a solution even is for debt markets. And so if, if you want to participate in a loan, if you want to take out a loan, then that loan needs to be denominated in some sort of stable unit of account because the loan exists over a duration. And so 30 years from now, you need, both you and the, the the creditor need that loan denomination to be stable, um, because if it if it goes too far in your favor, then the bank is basically losing money. They're they're not getting paid back the same value that they that they loaned out to you. And then if it goes too far in the other direction, which is towards the bank, then there's a risk that the credit will default. You won't be able to pay it back because the, the cost of the loan is, is, has gone too far away from you. So with debt markets, you need stability. Yeah. Um, but there's a solution to that that I think actually exists too. That Whereas the other one, I'm not sure if it exists, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that uh, to the what Bitcoin did podcast I sent yesterday, but they were they were actually talking about that as it's mm-hmm. as it relates to mortgages and um, pretty much allowing people. I want to say the guy's name is Brian, who he was who uh, who was being interviewed, but essentially what they were saying was like being able to put up your Bitcoin as collateral in the loan, but then still pay back in dollars. Um, over time. So it was pretty interesting. Um, mostly because Peter is in the middle of trying to buy a house and 
it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's a struggle it, for he's self-employed and uh, has Bitcoin. They won't consider any of his Bitcoin holdings in, in the mortgage process. And then, um, dude, it was blowing my mind. I mean, I'm self-employed. I don't do anything close to what he does. He was, he said the podcast uh, gross is about seven figures, somewhere in the seven figures every year. And they still were giving him crap about giving him a mortgage. And they wouldn't even consider the Bitcoin that he holds as anything, really. And that's so funny, isn't it? I mean, the whole system is set up. You can see how the system is like set up to, uh, what do they call it? Like whenever you have a, a bunch of cows in the field, like you're like, her, yeah, I don't know. Herd, yeah, hurting you're, everyone in the same them. direction. Yeah, like um, here's a guy who's worth millions on an annual basis. He gets millions paid out but he can't even reason take out a reasonable mortgage. Whereas like, you know, the guy who is a developer gets an amazing deal. <laughs> it's okay. It almost is like, if you're in the system that they want you to be in, they're going to make life a lot easier for you. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is like, if you're a traditional worker and you pay in, you pay in your social security, Medicare taxes, every in withholdings and it comes out of your check. And you don't deduct anything. So you pay pretty much the maximum amount of taxes as an employee. And um, you just play that game and you hold everything in traditional kind of USD type of products, whether it's bonds or uh, equities or cash. They're going to they're gonna look at you and say, great job. You, we're going to give you a real nice loan and a really nice interest rate. Whereas if you are one of these guys who goes out and tries to do your own thing and creates an S corporation to get, get out of some of these taxes, um, you're not paying in as frequently, but you, you know, you have a little bit more flexibility with that side with the taxes. Um, and then you're holding your wealth and things that the U S government can't control. They look at you and they say, mm, we don't think, we don't think you can pay back. Yeah. Right. And then they, and they smile just like that at the end. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is cause for, we need another way because that's, that's abuse in my, in my opinion, that's abuse, abusive. And that's um, just in some ways discriminatory of just, just because you've chosen to allocate your, your capital in one way you're getting discriminated against. Um, and so Anyways, it was a very interesting pod. And uh, the Brian guy pretty much runs this company that does Bitcoin banking and Bitcoin loans and stuff. Um, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to talk about it at some point because it was very interesting that if you were willing to, um, and again, you're having to trust a third party in this case, but if you're willing to use your Bitcoin as collateral on top of the actual real estate as collateral, um, you could get a very a very um, favorable interest rate. Um, so anyways, the debt piece, you, you just, when you're talking about the debt markets, it made me think of that. And, um, and we're also looking for a house this year and it's, and it's proving to be very difficult being self-employed. So yeah, all those things considered kind of create this, this tornado almost feels like. All right. Well, we got one more thing. Do we want to talk about that? We're going to wrap here. Yeah, let's go one more thing. I'm good. Okay. You dropped this in. What is this? Yeah, I was just, okay. So I, 
so this was the um, the market summary that was put out by CoinMetrics in their weekly newsletter, and um, we can post this on you know in the show notes. But pretty much what I was just thinking we might talk about is okay. This is a lot of columns. Um, pretty much, there's if you can't see it, there's column Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, USDC, and Uniswap, and then down the down the rows, there's usage, network value, security, economics, some, some different kind of like seven day rolling averages, seven day change percentages, things like that. So what I was going to see if, uh, if you could kind of just walk us through maybe what are, are there a couple of things on here? If I'm just the normal, normal person and I subscribe to the coin metrics weekly newsletter and I see this, this is super intimidating and I don't really know what any of this means. So could you break this down? Maybe just give us like a couple things like, okay, if active addresses are up 9.1%, what does that, what does that really mean? Um, what's the hash rate? Like if that's up 3.6%, what does that mean? We don't have to go through every line, but I just thought it might be helpful to start trying to break some of this down for the average user. Sure. Yeah. There's, like there's <laughs> yeah, there's a lot here. Cause yeah. Cause there's, there's uh there's a lot of information here. Like there's right. groups of there's groups of rows, right? So there's usage, network value, security, economics, distribution. Usage tracks um, like how much is the how much is the is the the chain or asset being used? Um, what's the utility? What's like the yeah? What's the activity on chain? Network value looks like we're talk we're talking market data there. So market cap is basically the Basically, price is what that's measuring. Security is um, <clears throat> the um, security is like a good indicator of like where's the where's the capital flowing, and so like where's the real world capital flowing? Because in the case of Bitcoin, you have to spend, you have to buy real assets, miners, energy streams, warehouses. You have to buy real assets. So it tracks like mm. where's where's the the quote unquote real capital going? Economics, that's kind of the energy, right? The security is also measuring a little bit of the physical energy that's going into the network. I would say that's right. That's right. But that's only for proof of work chains. And so as we move to proof of stake chains, that will kind of go away. It's a different thing, right? Okay. Um, economics. Let's see. Total supply transfer value it's just measuring different on-chain metrics yeah so like what's the outstanding supply free float free float is really interesting because it's like basically what's the what's the supply out there that is being traded what's the supply that's being moved from buyers to sellers um that's an interesting one fees yeah because free float actually like you're basically measuring the margin, like the free float margin versus like what's locked away in cold storage, right? Uh, oh, sorry. Actually, I'm saying this wrong. <laughs> free float. Oh, so, no, right. So free float is actually, um, some coins are just permanently lost. Sorry, this is what it is. Because we- Oh, okay. With crypto, sometimes it's like, accidentally, I accidentally sent it to the like an address that was null. It was like void and basically went into oblivion. Uh, yeah. And then also like some people just lose their lose their keys, right? So free float is like, what's that? So this is actually interesting. If you look at Bitcoin, 
like the current supply of Bitcoin is about 19 million. It's actually a little less than 19 million. I think in like five days, we'll be at the 19th millionth, 19 millionth hmm. Bitcoin. A little, uh, some, something, something to watch out for. Actually, if you go to, if you go to mempool.space, that's the, that's the go-to uh, block explorer tracker. And it looks like we are on, um, oh, that doesn't show the, the, the coins. It just shows the blocks. Sorry, never mind. Anyway, okay. So, but yeah, what's interesting is you'll see um, there's 19 million outstanding Bitcoins, but only 14 and a half million are even accessible. Uh, okay. So the difference is what's been lost. That's right. Yeah. Because like if you if you look at like the market cap, uh, the way to compute a market cap is you take the outstanding shares or outstanding coins in the, in the case of crypto multiplied by the, the price per share price per coin, right? So if there's 100 outstanding shares and each one is valued at $100, then the outstanding is 10,000. Oh, sorry, the market cap is $10,000. Um, so that, so you're using, they're even include, they do even include the, um, the lost shares, the lost coins, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not really honest because like a lot of coins are lost. And so like, right. if you take yeah, the free, good chunk. free float supply multiplied by the, the price per coin, that's the, that's the real, uh, current market cap. Um, hmm. and then it goes further than that, but we'll leave it there. And then yeah. just. Distribution distribution is tracking. Basically, it's like it's it's trying to get at what you were getting at earlier, which is like we need to get as many people on board with this as soon as possible. Because um, like one problem with people say with Bitcoin is like, well, the one percent of the whales control like a huge portion. There's basically a huge wealth distri- uh, distribution issue. So like the riches of the rich are extremely rich, and the poorest of the poor are extremely poor. Um, it's not actually ca- the case. It's actually people when they make that claim are just false, basically. But anyway, um, <laughs> people just make false claims. I don't understand it. And there's not, and and you can say that even if even if it say that was true, it's definitely still it's true of everything, right? That's just true in history. Yeah. So um, this this is there's where there's always different classes of people economically. Yeah. This is the this is the truth. Okay, I'm gonna spit it to you. First off, you're supposed to have rich people and you're supposed to have poor people, which is kind of what you're saying. That's just the way the system works. Okay, if everybody was the same, it would be a terrible world. Okay, it would be in 1984, or like that's not what you want. Or I forget, I don't know, some apocalyptic scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what actually what actually matters is the trend, and so what you're trying the what you're what you want is the trend between the wealth gap to decrease so you want the trend to be converging if you look at the u.s dollar and traditional finance this is sorry this is called a gini coefficient gini coefficient so there's an actual metric that you can compute to to calculate this if you look at traditional finance um especially with things like stocks and equities like if you own stocks in the past decade you're doing really well um, the Gini coefficient is trending in the wrong direction, which means that over time it's getting worse with Bitcoin, it's inverse. And so over time it's getting better. Um, and we, people who know Bitcoin expect that to basically continue into oblivion. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's important. 
because because no one's been able to figure figure out that issue right with the fiat model um, of how to close that gap. Yeah, because the problem is, is that gap has only been growing for the last century. Yeah, I mean, my opinion, I think that there's not a good. You need to talk to like a monetary theorist to really get the academic take on this. But my opinion is that if you have money that is politicized, then it will trend in the wrong direction. Because whereas if you have money that is apolitical, then it will trend in the correct direction. The reason for that is because if you have money that is politicized, then it rewards, it creates an incentive for rather than individuals um, maximizing their contribution to productivity, they maximize their contribution to politics. (laughs) And um, man, doesn't that some of our, does that sound, does that sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so like basically what happens is the money will aggregate to people that are the most politically intelligent and it becomes like a self-fulfilling loop where you have insiders and you have outsiders. And this is like the Cantillon effect, right? Where um, those closest to the money spigot are having, have an outsized advantage over those furthest away from it. Um, so anyway, when you talk, when you hear about blockchains going to proof of stake, you should think about this because proof of stake is the same. It's politicized because your money um is also a vote um but and who gets that money first is very important exactly in terms of where they end up right correct and that's that's very similar to the fiat um system right now and yeah the other thing that came to mind was with with the uh inequality is is inflation itself and you kind of touched on it if you own stocks in the last 20 years you do really well right in inflationary times, if you own assets, you're killing it. If you hold cash, you're not killing it. And the the simple matter is uh, the fact is just that poor people hold cash That's if right. they hold anything, right? right. Yeah. And um, and rich people have figured out how to hold assets, and um, and they've done really well in an inflationary environment. So the thing is, it's it's not a matter of you want the intelligence imbalance. You want people that you want to incentivize people to be smarter with their money. And so Mm -hmm. you want, like, you can't, like, I hear this claim where people are like, Oh, capitalism, like, or like, you know, these people know that you're just supposed to buy stocks and these people don't know. And that's the problem. It's like, well, you know, you probably want to have that problem. The, pro- the real problem is you don't want people to have political say over, over the money. And so, mm-hmm. for example, the reason why, inf- basically the reason why we have inflation is because, is because we have political money that backstops all credit defaults. And so like credit, the, basically the credit markets in the global economy can't operate um, honestly because they're too big to fail. They, if you fail, we bail you out. Okay. So therefore, therefore if you, and make no mistake, a fiat currency is a credit instrument that is backed by credit. Um, and so 
So as the credit market, wait, you're saying it's not backed by anything else. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. What is money? You taught me a good word this. Yeah. What is money? You taught me a good word this past weekend. Fugazi. Fugazi. Which, uh, yes. More and more I've dug in, uh, the more I'm learning, the more amount of things I'm learning are Fugazi. So yeah. And it's like, sometimes I think that sometimes I think that these like Fugazis are, I think there's actually a utility to deception to some, in some use cases. Um, but I think that there's just way too much deception in the world. Yeah, they definitely, they've gone too far. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there is an argument in certain, in I would say in very specific circumstances, um, to tell a little lie um, at scale because it's better for society at large. That's right. Yeah. But I think it's a, uh, I think you get that taste of it and then you can't, you can't stop yourself. I mean, we're all yeah. humans after all, you know? And um, yeah, well, I think it's important to just point out if, um, the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network specifically, you have to expend a lot of energy um, to get that next that next batch of Bitcoins, right? And it doesn't favor any one over another, right? Which is really cool because, um, you know, I've been watching Veep. That's one of my favorite shows right now, and so all of politics on both sides are people who have friends and they help their friends when they're in office. And then when they're not in office, other people get help, so on. Right. And part of that is who gets the money. Someone has to get the money right when it's out. The, the, the capital has to be allocated somewhere. Right. And these, and they have a lot of influence. Congress people pick your favorite. They have a lot of influence on where that money flows to first. Whereas in the Bitcoin network, there's, the decision is to is to whoever earned it, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Um, who and whoever it, I don't even know if I would say earned. Whoever took, they took a big risk, right? Buying all of those uh, ASICs and spending all that money on energy, and then they were, and then they were hoping that they would be the one, right? Um, so it's it's not a perfect system, probably, or maybe some people would say it is, but it's definitely a better system than the political, like you were talking about earlier, the politicized money where um, the crony capitalism kind of thing, everyone's just helping out people, paying back debts for all kinds of reasons, right? So yeah, Bitcoin is Bitcoin is apolitical. So like the, to your point, the only way to mint new Bitcoins is to do work. Um, you can see how this is conducive to incentivizing productivity. Uh, yeah. Whereas, whereas political money is uh, conducive to incentivizing political games. So, yeah. Okay. Well, there's some things that we didn't get to, but I think we'll save them for um, next time. Uh, mostly, I wanted to talk more about the death of the Bretton Woods, too, but we'll get to that. Um, we'll get to that next week. And, yeah, it's been fun. I'm excited. You got any closing thoughts? No, here we go. All right. See you guys.